How many know that we often take our eyesight for granted? Someone once said, until men lose their eyesight, they never fully realize its value. That's probably true. Now, if you've ever had any eye trouble of any kind, if you've ever, even, even things like a scratch or an abrasion or cataracts, you know the effects that poor vision or impacted vision can have on your life. I remember several years ago, and Amber will remember this story as well because it's true. Uh, several years ago, it was Easter Sunday, and we'd had church, and we went home. And I'll just tell you an honest confession. For pastors on Sundays, you usually go home, and eventually in the afternoon, you kind of die to the world. You kind of just crash. On Easter Sunday, you don't even know you went to lunch. Like, it's just a thing. It's just a thing. Pastors kind of crash that afternoon. So I'm laying on the couch Easter Sunday several years ago, and I don't know, something was probably playing on the television behind us maybe. And my oldest daughter, Isabella, all of my girls, if you've met them, you know, they're, they're very affectionate, they're very loving, they're always smiling typically. And uh, my oldest at the time was not 10, she was obviously considerably younger, and she came running up to me just to give me a hug on the couch. As she went to give me a hug with her arms extended, she caught my eyeball with her finger going in. Yeah, it's just as bad as it sounds. So I immediately, you know, ever, all of us have poked our eye before, right? And we know how terrible that can be, and it takes a few moments to kind of reacclimate to what's going on around us. Well, in this case, there was no acclimating. There was no adjusting. There was no wipe it off, put some dirt on it, and get up and keep going. My, uh, my dear wife, who I love so much, Amber, who's here with me on the front row, she's a go-getter personality, and she's a good encourager to not let things get you down. And what I mean by that is she pretty much told me, oh, come on, shake it off. Like, like this is not, everybody gets poked in the eye sometime. And I told her, I said, I, I hear what you're saying, but I'm telling you there's something more to this than just a poke in the eye. All night long, I just... It looked like I was weeping, but I wasn't. I just couldn't, I couldn't close or open my eye without feeling like there was something under my eyelid that was scratching my eyeball every time and just water leaking from my eye all night. So it was a miserable night. I get up the next morning. I go to the eye doctor, and I remember him saying, there are four quadrants to your eyeball, and basically one entire quadrant out of the four on your eye is an abrasion where your daughter caught your eye with her finger. And so I had to wear this really hard protective lens that would allow me to open and close my eyelid without crying. And then I had to put in drops and I had to trust that it healed. Honestly, I'm not even sure if it ever fully healed uh, because I don't like going to doctors. There's, uh, there's just something about that. And, uh, and so I trusted that it healed and every so often it feels like something's kind of rubbing under my eyeball and I just kind of rub it out and keep going and be done with it. So uh, anyway, and then several years ago my dad had uh, cataracts removed. And I remember the phone call after he'd had it removed and, and called me. He said, I can see the blades of grass. By the way, grass is what's under the white stuff that's out there on the ground. There's still grass there, I promise. He said, I can see the blades of grass. There, I can see more color. I can see more vibrantly than I have maybe ever after I've had this surgery. We take it for granted. We take for granted every day that we can see to walk, that we can see other people, that we can see ourselves in the mirror. Thank God we all saw ourselves in the mirror this morning. And, uh, and we take for granted that we can drive. We take for granted that we can put feet in front of the other and see where we're going. We take it for granted. 
So imagine with me, if you will, never having eyesight. You're born and you never see. It's not just a moment of not being able to remember things early on in your early years. I'm talking you've never been able to see color. You've never been able to read. You've never been able to, in our context, never been able to drive. Uh, You've never seen other people. You've never even seen yourself in the mirror. And in the culture of John chapter 9, if you were in this condition, you're unable to work for a living... And you're dependent upon other people that as they walk by wherever you are, as they walk by, you're dependent that as you call out to them, they're going to be generous and give to you in order for you to have a living. And that's just the physical side. We're not even taking into consideration the emotional toll and the darkness that that, that brings on someone and how you feel lonely in those things. John, in his gospel, recorded an interaction between Jesus and a man who was born blind, so blind from birth, never been able to see, and John was the only one to record this miracle. And I think he, I think he was wanting for us to see just how powerful Jesus is. But I think by the end of this chapter, we see that this was more than just about a physical miracle. This was also about spiritual sight and recognizing Jesus for who he really was. Now, a lot of people in Bible times viewed suffering, including blindness in this case, as caused by sin. So the greater a person suffered, the greater their sin must be, or maybe their parents' sin. Now, last week we talked about how sinful actions do bring consequences. Someone can bring harm or cause harm on themselves. And we also know that all sickness and all disease ultimately have root in original sin, the original rebellion against God. That's when sin entered, and sin's greatest consequence being death. But in this particular case, this wasn't the fault of personal sin, parental sin, prenatal sin. Suffering is a part of living in the fallen world, and the reality is I've found no one No matter righteous in Christ or not, no one is exempt from trial and tribulation. So when the disciples said to Jesus, who sinned? Was it this guy or was it his parents? Jesus corrected the improper view among the disciples. Pick it up in verse 3. Jesus instead said this, This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, don't get me wrong. I said this last week. No one's going to, in their right mind, sign up for suffering. If I was to offer you this week to be perfect or to be full of trials, you'd pick the perfection, right? I mean, nobody in their right mind's going to say, Yeah, take me through some hard moments. Nobody does that. Nobody's wanting to do that. But in reality, the moments of suffering in our lives can have much greater purpose. Jesus was saying, God's going to get the glory in this situation. Even in the midst of suffering, God's going to bring about good. His his purposes are going to be accomplished, and His power is going to be displayed. Now, Jesus would only be on earth in bodily human form for a limited amount of time. And His ultimate mission was to go to the cross and die so that humanity could have right relationship with God. And while he was ministering in this time before the cross, he brought light to physically blind who had lived in darkness, and he brought sight to the spiritually blind. And his work on the cross would ultimately open up many other eyes throughout history. Notice lastly in these verses that Jesus talked to the disciples, 
that Jesus included the disciples in his work. We must be about this work while there is opportunity. Jesus intended that the disciples would be part of his work. And years later, Jesus intended that his work would also be our work in this day. Now, Jesus performed many miracles in many different ways. A lot of different means. He proved over and over and over again that he was more powerful than demons and demonic powers. He was more powerful than the nature he created. He was more powerful than any sickness or disease that people experienced, no matter how long they experienced it. In this particular interaction in John chapter 9, Jesus does something really, to us probably on the surface, a little weird. Jesus spat on the ground made mud out of the dirt and spit together, and then put it on the man's eyes who was blind. Now, I've got a confession to make. I struggle to even drink behind my own family members. My children backwash. And, and I, I mean, all, the last 10% of any drink is backwash, okay? But with my children, I, I'm just letting you know the scientific fact, the last 10% is backwash, but when my child drinks it, every sip is backwash. You start seeing the particles. So, so I have a real thing about this whole other... Per- you know it's true if you have kids. You've been down this road. I don't know why you're acting shocked now. I struggle to even do that. Like, I don't want you touching my drink. I don't, I don't want you having my vanilla shake. I don't want you having my water because then I can see it. <laughs> At first glance, this is kind of yuck. But if you connect the dots in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, way back in the beginning of time, it says that God formed man, and what did he form man from? The dust of the ground. In John chapter 9, Jesus used the original materials of humanity mixed with his saliva to put on this man's face to bring about sight. Ultimately, the reality is God is so good and so big and so powerful, he can choose to heal anyone he wants to and he can do it in any way he wants to. In this, in this case, Jesus said, put it on his face. And then he said to him, verse 7, Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, or Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now this is important. Uh, it, it may be missed in your initial reading, but who is Jesus? Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one, the sent one of God. And Jesus is sending the man to go to the pool of Siloam, which means sent. I don't know. It just doesn't get lost on me that the sent one sent the man to the place called sent to experience a miracle. There are many physical and medical explanations as to why someone may be born blind. Uh, If you do some research, you can find that there are multiple explanations. And the truth is, it's so extensive, I probably don't even have the credentials to fully explain to you that case. But what we do realize here is that Jesus had the ability to do what seemingly was impossible. No one else had ever done it. No mere man could have ever done this. Whether Jesus used the mud to fashion a brand new pair of eyes or to recreate the eyes with the necessary components to see and to connect to the mind and the brain, only Jesus could have given sight to this man for the very first time. Now give the man credit 
He heard Jesus, he went, he washed, and he gained sight. Faith to hear Jesus, and faith that went further than just hearing, but faith that went into obedience to do what Jesus told him to do. Now, as we studied through this Gospel of John and looked specifically at miracles that are unique to John's Gospel, we've talked about how it's more than just the physical miracle. We've looked to responses of people and interactions with Jesus afterwards that point to the spiritual significance of what the miracle really said about Jesus and what Jesus was really wanting to do in people's lives. So once again, that's true here. The people who knew this blind man responded in several different ways. First, there were his neighbors. John chapter 9, verse 8, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, the man himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. And he replied, the man they called Jesus. Now remember, he was blind in his interaction with Jesus. So he didn't see him. The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went, I washed, and then I could see. I took him at his word, I obeyed, and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. So his neighbors were surprised and skeptical, unbelieving that this could have happened. And then there was the group of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were Seemingly always people who were full of unbelief, except maybe a few who quietly believed in Jesus and quietly had some conversation with him. Specifically throughout Jesus' ministry, the Pharisees didn't, weren't just resistant to Jesus, or they, they, they weren't just unbelieving, but they'd made it a point not to believe. They were opposed to Jesus. And the Pharisees here in John 9 had the same issue with Jesus that they had in John chapter 5. They did not appreciate that Jesus was violating the the rules of work on the Sabbath day. By kneading the dirt, by spitting in it and making mud, Jesus, in their minds, broke one of the 39 classifications of work on the Sabbath by Jewish tradition. And even if they thought this was the guy who had been born blind, notice, once again, that the Pharisees were more focused on their definition of breaking the Sabbath with work than they were on the reality that this man could see. They weren't even concerned about what good had been done to change this man's life. Verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. They're speaking of Jesus there. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs, so they were divided. So then they call in the parents. Pretty bad when you got to get mom and dad involved. It's never good when you got to call mom and dad, right? So they call the parents, and the parents knew this was their son, and they knew he'd been born blind, so they obviously recognized that there was something different that their son could now see, but they plagued ignorance. They didn't want to answer the question. They didn't want to speak the truth. They certainly didn't want to give credit to Jesus, Because they knew they'd be excommunicated or cut out from the social center of the synagogue and the spiritual center of the synagogue because people who were associating with Jesus were quickly becoming targets that were being cut out. And then there was the man born blind himself. He was interrogated and questioned over and over. 
And there may be some truth that initially this man may not have realized fully who it was that healed him. He'd heard about Jesus perhaps, certainly didn't see him, but probably heard about miracles. But unlike the others, this miracle for this man opened his eyes, opened his heart to understanding more about Jesus and to growing faith. See, in his mercy, Jesus did more than just give this man physical sight that day. He gave this man an opportunity to be on a journey of growing faith. He'd been blind all his life, and now he could see. And he realized, wait a minute, no one's ever been able to heal someone or bring sight to someone who was blind at birth. They didn't have the advancement in technology that we have now. No one's ever been able to do this. This man has great power. He knew that Jesus had physically changed his life and had opened the door to even greater spiritual change. Verse 24, a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. Notice what they're saying. Okay, enough with the charades, enough with the stories. Come on, tell us the truth. What really happened here? What should we really know? We know this man is a sinner, he replied. Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know, he said. One thing I do know, I was blind. What a key phrase. I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I have already told you, but you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you, too want, do you want to become his disciples too? Something is happening in this man's life. He's recognizing this couldn't have been just some ordinary man. He had to be from God because no one else has the power to do what he's done in my life. And so he looks at the Pharisees and says, wait a minute, why are you curious? You want to follow him? You want to be his disciples? I'm sure that made him very, very happy. We can see that the growing faith in this man kept growing even the more that he was questioned. And his statement was profound. Not only had his physical eyesight been restored, but his spiritual eyes were being opened to the truth of who Jesus was. Verse 32, Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He's professing faith in who this is. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And the Pharisees were so upset, they threw this man out, not just physically out of the room, but out of the synagogue. They wanted to excommunicate him as well. Honestly, probably the best thing that could have ever happened to this guy. Because if he'd have remained in the synagogue, he would have only been faced with the unbelief of these religious leaders and pushed away from Jesus rather than closer to him. I love that Jesus, just like he did in John chapter 5, circled back to interact with this man in John 9 again. The physical work was just the beginning. Jesus had changed his physical life, but he wanted to do more. So pick it up with me in verse 35. Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Remember, he was blind when he interacted with Jesus the first time. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Wow. The man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see. And those who see will become blind. 
When this man recognized who Jesus was, the man had the right response. He fell down, in my mind, he fell down to worship Him. Now, John 3.17 says that Jesus was sent by God not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. But in saving some, Jesus also brought not only salvation to those, but also others stood condemned. And it wasn't based on the gospel, the good news, or Jesus trying to keep people out of the circle. It was by people choosing to believe in Him or not. For John 3.18 goes further to say, Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. It all depends on whether a person believes in Jesus or not. Jesus came and presented truth, and it revealed the people who would believe in Him and who didn't. Some of the blind received their sight spiritually, and some of those who thought they had spiritual sight, it was revealed they were really blind. Now, Jesus had this conversation with the man in public, or at least close enough for the Pharisees to hear. Verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who, will, who see will become blind. And some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What, are we blind too? And Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. See, it's one thing for someone to have no knowledge. How can people do and live and obey what they don't know? How can someone... I, 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 get, I have an interesting response because there are a lot of people who they'll, they'll point fingers at what's going on in our world and they'll talk about all the, the things that are happening on display in our world. And they'll, they'll express, how in the world could people think like this? How in the world could people do these things? How in the world could people get caught up in all these different types of behaviors? And I recognize that, that we see that there's something different going on. But rather than get angry in this spot, we should be grieving the reality that what's, what's on display just points to the fact that they're lost. They can't live what they don't know. We're in a different time in our nation when the assumption of people knowing Scripture, the assumption of people knowing the name of Jesus, the assumption of people ever having been engaged with God, throw it out the window. There are people who've never known God, who've never given any regard for God in their life whatsoever, who've never read one word, one iota of the Word of God, people who have never worshipped Jesus, people who don't know anything about the truth. They may claim they know truth, but they don't. So how can they live... Something they don't know. It's another thing for someone to have knowledge and then refuse to do anything with it. To not move from head to heart or to believe. If a person believes, well, I've got to hold on the entirety of truth with no room for growth. What, what really gets, if I'm honest, under my skin today are the people who proclaim, well, this is my truth. There is no my truth. It's his truth the truth, he is the truth, there is no my truth. When we reduce it to my truth, we can adapt any ways we really want to adapt and live however we want to live with no consequence, no accountability, no room for judgment. There is no my truth. So if we come to this place of believing or a person comes to this place of believing that we've got the entirety of truth wrapped up, we know it, and there's no room for growth, that's a scary place. 
I think there's a lot more hope for someone who knows he or she is blind and asks for help than for someone who thinks he or she can see but doesn't realize they're blind. Scripture says it this way. The Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus' teaching said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Another translation reads it, Blessed are those who recognize their need for Him. Yeah, Jesus, I don't have life unless I have you. Yeah, Jesus, I'm lost in my sin and my eternity is not sure unless I'm in you. Lord, I I recognize I'm not ever going to be able to match up to your glorious standard. I can't do anything to resolve my own need for salvation. Blessed are those who recognize their need for Jesus. It's the people who say they have no room or need for God and yet believe we all end up in the same place in the same way that are in the deepest trouble. It's interesting that the Pharisees knew of the prophecies of God, knew of the promises of God, knew the the Old Testament, if you will, of God, and they claimed to have sight. They claimed to be seeing. They claimed to have the answers for spiritual life, yet they couldn't recognize and see Jesus right in front of them. In fact, they went far enough to accuse Jesus of blasphemy. The ultimate reason they used as an accusation to bring him to his death, that Jesus was blasphemous of God, claiming to be from God or of God, and having the authority and power to forgive sin. So what did they do? They called Jesus evil, and they called crucifying Jesus good. And this is the picture of so many hearts today that this is what grieves me the most. I spent some time in this last week, not a lot, and unintentionally, to be honest with you. Spent some time in this last week coming across social media content of people talking about different cultural narratives that are happening in our world right now. Whether it's homosexuality, whether it's transgenderism, whether it's whatever else. And I listened as as I heard people in the name of Jesus offering what they feel is to be truth. See, there are some people in our world today who see Jesus for who He really is. And they believe in Him, and they've been saved, and they're on a journey of ever-growing faith in Jesus. And there are other people even who are in this process of exploring faith, they're on a journey. And God, in His grace and mercy, is opening up eyes for people to see. He's giving people an opportunity to recognize who He really is. I I still go back and say that some of the things we've seen pop up over our nation and around the world, even in these last several weeks, you you can stand back and come up with all the criticisms and judgments, or if it was me, this would happen this way, and this would happen that way, and people are always good about criticizing. They'll pray for revival, and then when it comes, they got a reason why it's not right. You can do all of that, but I would say that in His mercy, God's giving people an opportunity to recognize He's really real. 
In His mercy and His grace, God's giving people an opportunity to see the light, to see the truth, for their eyes to be opened. And there are some people who are kind of on that journey. Maybe they haven't made the decision to follow Jesus yet. But in His grace and mercy, God's giving them repeated opportunities to see and to know, to learn to open their lives to God. I said, even in the last few weeks, I believe if a person will just crack the door open to faith, if people will just give an opportunity to believe in God, to explore truth of Scripture, to explore faith, they will find that God will prove Himself every time. So there are people who are on the journey. And then there are people who are spiritually blind because they have not heard yet. They haven't understood. Uh, they haven't believed the truth of the gospel. This is why you'll see missionary units all over the world who are going into some of the darkest places, the most remote places. They're doing this not because it's pleasurable, not because it's the greatest place on earth to be, not because it's tropical, but they're going there because they recognize there are people who've never heard the name of Jesus. So they're saying, yeah, I want to go. I'll say yes to God and I'll say yes to the darkest and hardest places because I don't want them to be spiritually blind and die with that blindness. I want them to hear Jesus, know the gospel, know the truth, and believe and their lives be changed. But then there are also people who believe they know the gospel, who believe they know God, who believe they know Jesus, and yet they are spiritually blind. In the very name of Jesus, there are those who have perverted Scripture to fit every cultural narrative possible. See, it's one thing to, to have your narrative and ignore God or proclaim He doesn't exist. It's another thing when you're proclaiming your narrative and living a certain way and at the same time saying, God's alright with me. There's a difference. When you're living in a way that says, I have no regard for God and you're, you're doing these things. But then when you begin to say, Jesus said this and it doesn't align with Scripture. Or you begin using His Word to try to uh, uh, support or endorse what's going on. There are people in our world today, they claim to see... They claim to have some new revelation that somehow alters the understanding of Scripture, yet they are spiritually blind, lacking the conviction of the Holy Spirit to recognize they're living a life contrary to what the Word of God teaches. I think we all know there are people in our world today that are calling evil good and good evil. Let me, let me preface this today. Please forgive this explanation because it's in no way intended to be offensive to people who may be lacking physical sight. But I think we can understand that people who maybe are suffering from blindness, they're unable to fully recognize things that are going on around them. They're, they're unable to see if someone's lunging at them unless they're really able to hear what's happening. They're unable to recognize someone coming in and to attack them. They're, they're unable to guide anyone else to truth when they're not living in truth themselves from the spiritual sins. Jesus actually went far enough to call the Pharisees spiritually blind. He said, he said you're like blind leading the blind. You're blind guides. 
One of the things that grieved me the most this week was the reality that there are those who call themselves pastors who are spiritually blind and they're leading people in more blindness, preaching what people want to hear and endorsing the cultural narratives of our world today rather than preaching truth in fear that they'll lose nickels and noses in the process. Is it always going to be easy to preach truth? Probably not. There will probably be many people who have plenty to say about us. They certainly didn't like Jesus. And he said if they did it to him, they're certainly going to do it to us. But the reality is there are people who are spiritually blind today leading the blind. Today the spiritually blind aren't able to recognize that the enemy, the devil, is at work in so much of what's happening in our world today. Masquerading as an angel of light, the devil is deceiving people into questioning the truth just like he did with Eve in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? Is that really what God meant? Deception is one of the greatest tools of the enemy. And you better believe there's a reason why the Bible warns us to be alert, sober-minded, aware of the truth, engaged with the truth, walking closely with Jesus, because God knows that in these last days, if not careful, even those who are walking with Jesus can fall away if they get swayed and caught up in the deception. Today, spiritually blind or unaware of what's happening around them, some are even willfully ignorant, crouching back to not engage in any of the conversations. There's so much I could say, so much I want to say that I feel like I'm struggling in the last few weeks to even put it into the right words, but just recognizing that there are so many people who need Jesus. We sang it this morning. I don't know if you caught it. But in the bridge portion of the second song we sang together in worship today, the words simply say, Break my heart for what breaks yours. And I think, I think personally, I won't speak for you today, but I think personally, that's part of what's happening in my life right now. And, and I, I, I actually would pray that it happens in yours too because I think until we really get a true picture of the need for Jesus in our world, we won't be compelled to do much of anything. But if we get the reality of eternity and we get how Jesus has really changed our lives and we get that sin is the problem and Jesus is the answer and we get that people only have really a short amount of time, even, even days before they, they are into eternity for good, if we really grasp that and it breaks our heart like I believe it breaks the heart of God, we'll do something about it. But if we just plead ignorance and we just stick our hands up to the world and say, you know what, our answer is going to be, we're just going to disengage completely. We just won't go near it. We'll just let these things happen. We'll never speak up about it because, you know, let them live their life. It really doesn't affect me. I could go on and on and on today. And I would say that is the exact opposite of what God wants us to do in our lives. He wants us to engage. He wants us to be the voice of truth in this world. He wants to empower us by the Holy Spirit to be bold witnesses for Christ, to represent and to represent the gospel over and over to people again. Listen, the cries of Palm Sunday that day in Mark 11 and other passages in the Gospels, the cry was right. They may not have fully understood Jesus and they may not have fully understood his mission. They may have thought that he was going to overthrow Roman government and they were, that he was coming to reestablish the throne there. But, but the cry was right. Hosanna, 
Oh, save now. It was a cry out for, for, for the rescue, for the salvation that only Jesus could bring. That should be the prayer of our lives today. Here's the truth. Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And it is my prayer today that you recognize this truth. I would ask you in, in a spiritual sense, not a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense, have you seen Jesus? Have you recognized who He really is? Are you aware of what He came and did for you? This is more than just a verbal confession. This is more than just a mental assent to His existence. It matters if we believe in Him, that who He is as the Son of God and His finished work as Savior of the world. And it matters that we, because we believe in who He is, actually obey His words by the help of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He's much more than just a historical figure. Jesus, John captured in his gospel that Jesus is the bread of life and the light of the world and the door and the good shepherd and the resurrection and the life and the true vine and the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. And more than anyone or anything, we all need Jesus. I pray that you've recognized that. And if not, that today you would recognize and you would make a decision in your own life to not just believe He exists, but to follow Him every day. Secondly, I mentioned earlier that Jesus included the disciples in His ministry. We must be about this ministry while there's opportunity. So I would remind us today that we share in the ministry of Jesus. We are to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. We are to be about what Jesus did. In fact, Jesus went far enough to say, I'm going to go back to the Father and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and you're going to do even greater things. Greater things. And I think we've settled for a whole lot less. Greater things. Jesus was the light of the world. We are now termed by Jesus himself the light of the world. His representatives on earth. Now is not the time. We must not cower down in silence. There's a temptation in the Christian world. And I hear it. I, I've seen it through the years. And, and if, if, if you're this person, please forgive me. You can send me an email. Chris.clevelandatbag.church I don't, I don't believe God's calling for my life right now is to hunker down in some deep fort somewhere underground with a bunch of freeze-dried food just waiting for the apocalypse to happen. I just don't. I just don't. And hey, if you've got a bunch of freeze-dried food and we come to need it, I'll come to your house. Just let me know you got it. No big deal. God can provide in a lot of different ways. I'm good with that. Not a problem. But I don't, I don't believe that Jesus is calling us to isolate and to pull back. I believe God's calling us to occupy until he comes. So we need to be about the same business that Jesus was about. And in Mark chapter 4, in the parable of the sower, we talked about it Wednesday night in adult Bible study, we need to be casting that seed of the word of God. And yeah, there are some soils that are not ready for the truth. There's some that's going to fall on the footpath, and there's some that's going to be choked out by the thorns. There are going to be some people who aren't yet receptive, but there are others. If someone would come along and put the truth into their lives, they will hear it, they will believe, they will go wash, and they will see. Jesus 
We must lovingly lead people to truth. And I say lovingly on purpose because I, I, I don't want you to be provoked in anger. I want you, by the help of the Holy Spirit, to be compelled with love and grieved over the condition of so many people in this world. Many of the issues happening in our world, even in Minnesota right now, have been stated to be legislative or political issues. And I certainly am always for Jesus followers engaging in the process that we have in place to voice your thought and to be able to vote and do all of those things. But i got to tell you today, what we're dealing with is much more than just a political issue. These are moral issues, issues of the heart, and the Scripture speaks to them. And we should speak to these things in our lives. I don't think that you need to go screaming in people's faces with signs that show as much hate in your heart as is in somebody else's. But at the same time, I do believe that now is the time for us to be speaking the truth about Jesus. To help people understand you don't know life until you know Jesus. And you certainly won't have eternal life unless you know Jesus. Most of all, we must point people to, to the life that's found only in Him. Legislation may change laws, but only Jesus changes hearts. Be involved in the legislative process, but please, by all means, do it in a respectful way that still loves people. Engage people in conversation. Don't make a bad name and a bad witness for Jesus. Get off of social media if you have to. Turn off the news if you have to. Don't go isolate and be silent. But at the same time, don't let it steal the joy and the peace that God has put in your heart. And don't let it take you and make you stoop to a level of hatred like the rest of the world around us is. Don't do that. But engage in it with the love of Christ and point people to truth. I end with this. We must work while there is opportunity. I've said before, I'm not, uh, not going to write a book, 2023 Reasons Why Jesus is Going to Come Back in 2023. I'm just not going to do it. I think that's poor judgment for anyone who tries to predict the timeline of the end times. There's a lot of things about those things that we, we can't fully comprehend. I think part of it is veiled. There are a lot of things we can't understand. And what we can understand is whether it is rapture, tribulation, ending judgment, ultimate judgment, new heavens, new earth, or whether it is the fact that people could go into eternity at any moment in time, we have a small window. In the grand scheme of eternity, remember what we said last week? Eternity is forever. Eternity is so long that we can't fully comprehend it because as much as we throw around the word forever, we've never lived it. But eternity is forever. Life is but a little space in it. So we've got to be at work while there's opportunity for people to hear Jesus. We should be praying for healing and miracles, no doubt about it. I'm all for it. Today we, we will pray for miracles in this room. We'll pray for people online. If you want to jump in the comments and tell us how we can be praying for you. Even, even if you specifically have an eye issue today, I believe God can recreate or, or open or restore, do whatever He needs to do to bring healing to your eyes and do anything else with your physical body. But we also need to be praying for spiritually blind eyes to be open. Because you see, 
as much as I want to see God work in your circumstances, they're temporary. What I want to see more than anything is for you to have sight and know Jesus personally so that you can have eternal life with Him. Physical blindness, physical limitations, physical temporary moments affects this life, but spiritual blindness has eternal consequences. We've got to be proclaiming the truth. For the last several weeks, I've spent some time reflecting on Jesus' words. As He talks about latter days, He talks about... That in those days it will be as it was in the days of Noah. Now most of us probably know the story of Noah and the ark. How many, any of you been to see, not the ark, but the ark in Kentucky? Anybody been to see that? Okay, so you know how impressive it really is. When Noah was living in that time, God saw him as righteous and blameless before him. It wasn't that Noah was perfect. Noah had his own issues after the flood, for that matter. But, but it was that, that in that time, God had created the world, and Eden was perfect. There was no sin, there was no disease, there was no sickness, ultimately there was no death. And humanity chose to rebel against God, to sin against God, to not believe the Lord and not do what He said, instead to do things their own way. As a representative of humanity, and don't say you wouldn't have done it, because there's something about don't press the red button that everybody wants to press the red button. Right? So, sin entered humanity. Sin, sickness, disease, all the consequences and results of sin, even death. And so, God allowed it to go along. And then He said, this, this world is so wicked and so messed up, I'm going to start over again. And I'm going to use Noah. So, He calls Noah to build this massive boat. More massive than I can put into words in this moment. Peter wrote in 2 Peter that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. There's some evidence in Scripture that, that people probably thought Noah was a little crazy. You ever been given a word from God and you were trying to be obedient and people thought you were nuts? Yeah. yeah. But Noah, by faith, in obedience... Believed in God, took him at his word, and the Bible says that Noah did everything as God commanded him. So Noah's building this boat. Most likely he's communicating to people, hey, listen, there's judgment coming. Hey, listen, this is the way it's going to be. And in the end, the story of Noah and the ark is a story of salvation for Noah and his family, but it's also a story of judgment. And if you want to quickly connect the dots, the ark representative of the Messiah that would come later, that we must be found in Jesus to be safe and to be saved. Otherwise, if we do not believe in Jesus and we live in our sin, the ultimate consequence is eternal separation from God. The Bible calls it the second death. So, in all of this, my point being, we have a short time to tell people, look, salvation is available. There's an answer for sin. And there's a coming judgment that you can avoid if you will know Jesus and believe in Him. And I don't mean just avoid in the sense of escape and get out of. I mean avoid and to know true life in Jesus. He said, I came to give you abundant, a full life and then eternal life as well. We have a short time. And we must be at work while there's opportunity. The Great Commission hasn't faded away. The Great Commission is not obsolete or a part of antiquity. The Great Commission is just as real for us today, if not more than it has ever been. 
And I, I get it. In the midst of all of this, we can look at it and say, man, I never thought I'd see the day when, fill in the blank. And, and we can think, wow, it's hard living in this time. But God gave us this moment. We're alive right now to be a witness for Jesus and to tell somebody else about what He's done in our lives and to take more people with us into eternity to populate heaven and to empty hell. Now's the time to do that. We're the people to do that. So I don't want us to sit back and wait for everyone else to do it. I want us to be about the Father's work while we can. God help us. And through us, may God change lives. I'm going to ask you if you're in the auditorium today, would you stand with me? And if you're online, I'd love for you to take some time to respond with me as well. I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. This isn't religious ritual or exercise. This is, I just don't want you to be, I just don't want you to be distracted or disconnected in any way. I want you to hear from God in this moment. I want you to, I want you to to know the Lord in a deeper way in this moment. I want to ask our prayer team members, if you will come and make yourself available on either side of the auditorium this morning and Just be available because there are some people who may want to pray together today. If any of our leaders are in the room, you're welcome to come as well. Make yourself available. I want to start with the greatest greatest need you have. You may not realize it today, but the greatest need that you have is salvation only found in Jesus. We have to deal with the sin issue that separates us from God. We have to deal with the sin issue that contaminates our hearts as human beings. And instead, we can be remade. We can start fresh in the Lord. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how worthless you may feel or or maybe somehow feel like Jesus won't take you in, He will. Songwriter said years and years ago, there's room at the cross for you. Even though there's been a ton of people who've responded through the years and believed in Jesus, there's still room for you to come in, to know Him, to know life. Do you recognize who Jesus is? Have you responded to Him? For today, if you will hear His Word and you will come to Him, He will wash you clean you will see greater than you've ever seen before and you will experience in your life greater than you've experienced before. Jesus still changes everything. So today, in just a moment, I'm going to pray over you and we're going to have a time of worship and response. I want to encourage you, if you're here today and you say, you know what, I'm kind of exploring this thing called faith. I'm kind of exploring this this idea of Jesus and what he's done. I've got questions. I want to talk with someone. There are people here today who will talk with you. There are people here today who will pray with you, who will help you to make that decision to follow Jesus, who will help you understand what that means. There are people here today in this room or online that may have need for a miracle. This morning I prayed with someone whose whose ears were affected uh, by a rare condition and I'm believing that in that moment God was already working a healing. 
there were some things that began to happen that I, I really believe in that moment God was already working. God wants to work today. He does care about what you're going through. He does care about what you're facing. He does care about any sickness or disease or struggles, maybe situations as well, but the Lord can radically bring change to those things, to you. And lastly, I would just hope and I would pray that in this moment, I would desire that there would be people in the body of Christ, people who are part of the EPAG community, who would say, you know, Pastor, I hear what you're saying and, and we're all in agreement that, that this world needs Jesus. People need Jesus. And so today you won't just sit idly by. Today you won't just walk out and go on with Sunday afternoon. But today you would give some moment of time to seek the Lord and pray for open eyes and open hearts to truth. It may be the very people that you give that Easter invite to. It may be the very people you work with tomorrow. It may be those very family members that you interact with today. But to pray for them, to call them by name, to intercede for people maybe you don't even know. And to ask the Lord that their hearts, their eyes be open. To ask for the help of the Holy Spirit in our own lives. To say, Holy Spirit, uh, empower us to be those bold witnesses, those bold messengers for you. That we would not crouch back or cower back. That we wouldn't live in fear or isolation. But we would press forward in proclaiming the name of Jesus. I think we can all respond in one way or the other. Maybe in multiple ways. Let's take some time to do that today. I want to pray for you. And then we'll open up these altars. God, thank you for your word. And I'm grateful, Lord, that in the times that I feel limited or I feel, uh, Lord, that, that I may not struggle to even put into words what, what's happening and what you want to do, Lord, I, I just thank you that, Holy Spirit, you're able to drive home into the hearts of people. I pray right now there'd be a convincing works, Holy Spirit, that helps people see their need for you, Jesus. Even now, Lord, if there are people who haven't responded, Lord, to believe in you and to experience true life, they would do that today. I pray, God, for people who, who need a miracle. Maybe they're facing a diagnosis that in the natural seems very grim. I thank you, Lord, that Scripture teaches us you were often in your earthly ministry moved with compassion. And compassion didn't just let you have pity on people. It, it caused you to take action to help them. So Jesus, would you today show compassion and grace and mercy to your people. That's who you are. And would you work powerfully in their lives today and bring about healing and miracles. And today we stand in the gap. We intercede on behalf of many lost people. Lord, we're not, we're not looking at them and in a way of, of pointing fingers. We all know that, that, Lord, we only are where we are because of your grace and power and mercy at work in our lives. But, Lord, we recognize other people need to know you. Other people need to know your power. Other people are deceived and need eyes to be open, oh God. God, I pray that we be moved of the Spirit not to just look and see and do nothing, but Lord, to respond in seeking your face that you may empower us and that you may be at work among many and eyes and hearts be open. 
even as we pray in these moments, I pray that names that are called before your throne, that wherever they are today, they would have an encounter with you and an encounter with a Jesus follower. And they would have, Lord, these moments that open their eyes and open the door to faith in you, O Lord. Would you do a work, O God, in these moments? Now, Father, I pray that you would bless and keep this people and you would make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. May your countenance, your favor ever be turned in their direction and grant them your peace. We invite you to be at work among us even right now. In Jesus' name.